0: Hi, this is Jeff Thigpen, Guilford County Register of Deeds.
1: And I'm Carly Malcolm, Lead for North Carolina Fellow for Guilford County from the UNC School of Government. And welcome to the Good Grief Podcast.
0: Have you ever lost a loved one and had to figure out what to do? Have you ever felt alone and overwhelmed? Did it make you wonder why on earth this is all so complicated?
1: In this podcast series, we bring together community partners to talk unapologetically about issues of death and dying. We answer questions about funerals, hospice, estates, and more to give our listeners the knowledge they need to make decisions for themselves and their loved ones.
0: We want everyone in Guilford County to know that they're supported, that we live in a community where we cannot only live and live well but when we die we can also die well because we care so we thank you for joining us for the good grief podcast and for taking this step to be better prepared for end of life challenges this is jeff digpin guilford county register of deeds and carly malcolm nc lead fellow from the unc institute of government and welcome to the good grief podcast today we're talking with sarah williams Sarah is president of the Funeral Consumers Alliance in North Carolina, and she started Death Cafe in Mebane in 2014. She says that even from a young age, she had been interested and fascinated by the issues related to death, and that she knows uh, death at times is uncomfortable to talk about, but through her work and her passion, she tries to change those negative feelings and move them uh, toward Uh, reclaiming a sacred tradition uh, of caring for our own dead and, by extension, uh, caring for each other. Um, She's a trained uh, home funeral guide and a hospice volunteer. Uh, Sarah, welcome.
2: Thank you, Jeff and Carly. It's really good to be here.
0: Uh, Where did this interest and passion around death come from?
2: Well, um, I think maybe one of my first and earliest memories, and I think anybody listening to the show has a horrible funeral experience, Mm. where they will have walked away and said, I never want that to happen to me. When I was in middle school, a young fellow student died from his cerebral palsy, and we were told we had to go to the funeral home and when i saw lewis in the casket it just it was not lewis it was not the lewis i knew in his wheelchair on the playground they let him always be the general on the playground and i just knew death could be done better and years later i discovered that in fact that was the truth
0: so you had this really uh impactful experience as yeah a thing. Or early teen, like
2: yeah. I first. think I must have been tw- what twelve or thirteen.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's kind of led you into the field of advocacy in a lot of ways um, through your work.
2: Definitely. Yeah.
1: Talk to us about the Funeral Consumers Alliance. What is that organization, and why is it important?
2: Well, Funeral Consumers Alliance North Carolina is one of more than seventy funeral advocacy and education groups across the United States and we are affiliated with the National Funeral Consumers Alliance. Uh, We help people across the state become more knowledgeable as a consumer when they're planning a funeral or purchasing funeral goods and services. Mm.
0: Okay. Yeah, a lot of times what we're learning through the podcast series is that uh, number one, a lot of folks are unprepared for these decisions. And a lot of times they, they have no idea how much this stuff costs and uh, and what they should expect. Um, and and so you have, you know, some regular funeral homes that will give you, you know, $18,000, $20,000 funerals um, when a family can't afford it. And as one of our, uh, as Randall Keeney in one of our podcasts mentioned, is it you know, we ought to live in a society where um, the people shouldn't go bankrupt burying their loved ones, right?
2: Or putting into the ground better furniture than what you lived on and with while you were still alive.
0: Yeah. And so, the funeral home, the 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 funeral consumers alliance really gets into that space as an advocate, right, for people.
2: And we tr- and we urge people plan ahead. It, that doesn't necessarily mean prepay, just pre-plan. Tell people what you want and set aside some money. You know, every week we get phone calls, thinking our organization, which is just a nonprofit. I mean, I wish we did have money, lots of money, to help people bury Aunt Bessie, because Aunt Bessie didn't plan. And they're stuck now, um, not knowing what to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that planning is so important. Like everyone wants to honor their loved ones the way that they would want to be honored. Um, And that's really what we're finding is that it can be hard to do that if you have somebody who didn't make those arrangements while they were living. Um, So when you're advocating on behalf of consumers, what's the goal?
2: Well, we make sure all your rights are protected under the Federal Trade Commission's funeral rule. That was a rule that came about in 1984. And part of that law gives you the right, uh, if you purchase a coffin elsewhere, a funeral home has to use it. If you walk in and want to see a price list, what we refer to as a GPL, a general price list, they have to give it to you. If you call them on the telephone, they have to give you prices over the phone. And um the other really important thing of the funeral rule. Um you do not have to buy a package. Sometimes they're presented as like here's our package that includes X, Y, and Z. You can just purchase a la carte services. Or funeral goods.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's really important to know. I feel like a lot of people wouldn't think to ask those questions. Um, Now, the FCANC is a pretty new organization formed in January of 2020. And it was when the Funeral Consumers Alliance of Coastal Carolina, Western North Carolina, and the Piedmont merged together, right? Why did that happen? Like, why did these chapters decide to merge? And what's been the benefit of that merge?
2: Well, all of these chapters um, were coming up with an aging membership. So we hoped through getting bigger and better, you know, strengthen numbers that we could attract a younger population to see what it was that we were actually attempting to accomplish. We were able to pull our financial resources so that gave us more money to work with so we can in the future when we're past this pandemic hold some really exciting big programs with you know well-known keynote speakers and also we got a fabulous new website and i'd like everybody to know that website which is funeralsnc.org and it's just loaded with information which i think with for your listening audience would be very helpful
1: absolutely yeah and we'll link to that in the description of the podcast and in the transcript too so
0: okay and and one of the reasons you know why why we thought it was really important to have you with us is one based on the work you do with um the the funeral consumers alliance but it was also about the death cafes and and i I mentioned, you know, a lot of times we we don't like talking about death and dying. And then the idea of providing support when uh when you need it. And talk to us about the concept of death cafes. And I think I told you before the interview that I I found the concept in London on the internet, so to speak, uh, in terms of looking for, for support uh networks. And I thought that was a really Uh, direct and very catchy phrase, death cafes. Can you talk to us about what they are?
2: Absolutely. At this point in time, it is an international movement. I think the houses have been held in like 80 countries across the world. And it was a concept that did originate in London via Switzerland. But I want to give the credit to John Underwood, who unfortunately died just a a few years ago, unexpectedly. I mean, how ironic is that? And he was a lovely man who, with his mom, held the first death cafe, I believe in 2011. And the movement caught on with a social worker in Columbus, Ohio, Lizzie Miles, and she brought the concept to the United States in 2012. So, I was aware that this movement was going on. And to tell you the truth, at the time I was working at UNC Chapel Hill, I couldn't believe that nobody had started a death cafe. Here was this forward thinking, innovative, intellectual community. Where the heck was the death cafe? And I just got tired of waiting. So, I said, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And so, in July of 2014, boom. We started Death Cafe Mebin, and we are still going strong today. <laughs>
0: yeah, and there, and there yeah, I think. In I was looking at your website, and uh, I think that, and although on the Death Cafe, that that you as a particular person, you self-describe yourself at certain points as obsessed with death. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, not, I'm going to say, yeah. Well, I mean, it probably, you know, depending upon what you're thinking about it, maybe it could be unhealthy, but the idea that we need to spend really thoughtful time around issues of death what are some of the the issues and and feelings and things that come up in these cafes um that that you see and are impactful to you
2: yeah there's so many first i'm going to <laughs>
0: address the obsession with death. Yes. <laughs> Please, feel
2: Apparently, that is my claim to fame, but uh. it, it's a true story. It was honors English in my senior year in high school, and we were going through Dante's Inferno. And I was raising my hand constantly, and I could hear these sighs behind me. <laughs> like, shut up. <laughs> and at the, at when the class was over, Tom came up to me and said, you know, Sarah Hill, you're obsessed with death. And I, it, it was one of the defining moments in my life. I guess I was. But not in a Blair Witch Project kind, <laughs> kind of, of way. Not in a like it's a flight like way. It's like, this interests me. I mean, the last time I checked, yeah. the mortality rate for the human race was pretty high.
0: 100%. Yeah, 100%.
2: That's pretty high. And to me, if we... L- if we acknowledge that we're gonna die, we live our lives more fully mm. and that's in in death cafe that's exactly what we do. It is not don't I look like a sad person we We spend so much time laughing and just going down rabbit holes if If someone asks a question and I can't answer it, I promise them I'll find the answer, and that's how questions come up like, can I bury Aunt Bessie in my backyard? What is a home funeral? What is a green burial? You know, all these types of things.
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: yes. What's a vault for in a cemetery? Yeah.
1: Why don't you go ahead and answer some of
2: this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you bury Aunt Bessie in the backyard? You can. If you, con- if you contact all the right county people and follow setback rules, it, it, you are absolutely allowed. And I'm, sh- I'm sure you and our listening audience has no doubt seen little family cemeteries yeah. as you travel across the state. Um, and some of that land is abandoned, sadly. But no, it's, you're permi- permitted to do that as long as you follow rules and regs of the county uh, health department, and the you do all your filing of papers
1: correctly. Okay. You mentioned home funerals, too. What, what does that mean? Well,
2: a home funeral is where we care for the loved one in the home, and it is legal. It's safe. Bodies don't stink or rot, despite what people may think, and it's really how we used to do things. So there is a movement now in this country, and it's gaining strength and popularity where people like me, train, a trained home funeral guide, helps the family care for Aunt Bessie at home. We wash the body, anoint the body, dress the body. If they want Aunt Bessie To lay there for three days, we have a way to keep her cool. And then the final body disposition is up to the family. I mean, whether she's being cremated or buried. But it's a lovely, organic movement. I mean, I cannot tell you. Like I mentioned early on, everybody's been to a funeral where they've come out and said, oh God, I never want that to happen to me. You'll never hear anybody come away from a home funeral saying those words. It's just too beautiful, too moving, and it is safe and legal. And we are a home funeral-friendly state. I do want to point that out. There are nine states now in this country where you're required by law to use the services of a licensed funeral director. And that's usually either to witness the burial or to help with paperwork. Mm. But here in North Carolina, we can do everything ourselves. Yeah,
0: well, it's good to hear that we're um, um, a home-funeral-friendly state. One of the things I was going to ask you is to... the idea of uh, COVID-19 and the impact it's had on that, and you were talking to me a little bit about before we started, but what do you see as the impact at this point?
2: Um, Wow, it's changed how we lived, how we live, and it has definitely changed how we die. Hmm. And I can't believe over the past 10 months, if you have not, you must be in a bubble. If you... We've got death staring us in the face every day from our television, from our radio, from our cell phone. And I think it's given us pause to say, hey, this is happening to, to people, it, thousands of people every day. It could happen to me. So I think. Number one, it, unless you really are living in a bubble, it has caused people to reflect on their mortality. Secondly, for me, as a home funeral guide and as a funeral celebrant, I'm, it's changed the way people are having funerals and memorial services and celebrations of life. So I have not really um, been called upon. To do a service or um a home funeral in a while, although I would not be afraid um to
0: to take part in help uh, yeah to play, yeah celebrating. it's just yeah.
2: now things are are different I think they're it's because so many people are dying in the hospital yeah. And it's,
0: I mean, it's amazing to me when I look at the work that you are doing in multiple spaces, right? And because you put a hospice volunteer as well. I mean, and so you really are in the thick of it. You know, you, you really do see, uh, how death manifests itself in people's lives in so many ways. Um, I think the question I want to ask you is how has this work impacted you?
2: Well, it's a. I think it's a calling. It's a ministry. I mean, not everybody is going to be obsessed with death in a way that brings them joy. I mean, I don't want to see. You know, it's sad when people die. It's sad when you know people die in my family or close friends. And yet, to help that family through that take that journey the natural way the organic way is is it's just it's fulfilling yeah. i mean i i don't know how else to say it yeah
0: we i mean and one of the and some of the things that come up in the podcast series is is that we i think way i started these podcasts i was going you know there's this way that people are buried you know there's you know there's the funeral home, there's this there's that, and then when we get into it you know I come to understand, well, you know, back in the 1860s, you know, they had a way of burying people. You know, people didn't just start dying uh, when funeral homes were created, for example. But it's this idea of in celebrating the life of an individual and dealing with death, there is our perceptions of how we talk about death and our perceptions of how we talk about burials and things like that, but then there's the actual on-the-ground experience of having to go through it and, and, and developing the understanding, both in the Consumers Alliance, is being able to to make sure that you're advocating for people who, when they're dealing with the practical issues of of cost and, um, uh, and what is culturally appropriate and acceptable and those kinds of things, that you have the right support <laughs> mechanisms in place to be able to... Um, reflect the care and appreciation you had for that life and I think that what I what I sense in you is is that as you're doing this work it's um probably helped you appreciate yourself um in ways that you probably didn't know and and maybe that's why you stayed in it um the work and the reason why you're so passionate for it so I appreciate you know you.
2: <laughs> Thank you. And I always say people can't know what they don't know. So when they hear the word "natural burial," what? And we explain what that is, and you mean embalming is not required by law? No, it is not. I could do everything. At my home and never go to a funeral home? Yes, you could. So, these, we just, we just want to educate and make sure that people, ha- you know, get what they want or think about the whole, the whole, um, What's the word I want?
0: The whole mosaic. The
2: whole mosaic. Yeah. <laughs> mosaic.
0: Yeah. The yeah. whole the whole yeah. pie. Yeah. Um well we appreciate you. Uh again and appreciate you coming in and talking with us about uh again the alliance, the death cafes, and what the impact of this work has had on you. And uh with that said, uh again, want to appreciate you for being a part of this podcast. And uh We, uh, On behalf of Carly and myself, uh, we'd like to thank you for being a part of the Good Grief Podcast.
2: Thank you so much, Jeff and Carly, for what you do. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Grief Podcast. We want your feedback. You can visit our website at www.guilforddeeds.com.
0: You can also email us at endoflife at guilfordcountync.gov or find us on Twitter with the handle at Guilford underscore R-O-D. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, and until next time, take care.